Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files, uh, and I am Tom Donaldson. I am the chairman of America's PAC. I am also the project director for America's Majority Foundation and the author of eight great books and working on my number nine. Uh, and tonight we've got two special guests. Now, Coco was originally was on her uh I was kind of ill, and she'll tell you more about her condition, but she has decided like a trooper. She's calling in to say hello, and she's going to be on the show. And, of course, uh, Dr. Larry is going to be joining us as well, and we're going to be talking about a lot of different things all over the map. And so, Coco, why don't you tell us all about your your miraculous recovery? Um, well, I'm still in recovery. Um early uh it was my dog's birthday um he turned seven so along with my uh stepdaughter and uh we decided to throw him a birthday so i bought a birthday cake for the dogs they do that here um and i also decided to get a birthday cake for us as well and i was like i i have celiac so for those who don't know that it's an extreme um gluten intolerance so anything gluten like I literally can't have and over the weekend we decided to go out for dinner or whatever and I thought I was being gluten free um, but apparently barbecue sauce has a ton of gluten and I had that twice and about like on Sunday night I was basically vomiting for 12 hours straight um and i literally couldn't hold anything down so basically uh if you have celiac and you do eat gluten even if you didn't know it was really gluten um the best way i can describe it tom is if i took a syringe full of rat poison and just injected into my body Like, you feel yourself being poisoned. Like, I could feel myself, like, being poisoned, and I was like, oh, my God. So I took two days off work. I'm going back tomorrow to work. Um, But there's really nothing you really can do um, except, you know, anti-inflammatory medication and literally a shit ton of water. So yeah. I, I've, liter- I've literally been in bed three days just trying to recoup. But on the bright side, um, I will be getting – I found out I am eligible for my vaccine on the 15th. So I will be getting that. Um, very happy about that. I guess I qualify as phase 1B. And what phase 1B is is for people 16 to about 65 or older that have like autoimmune problems like asthma um anything really that's yeah. like you can really become susceptible yeah. to the virus so i have an appointment on the 15th 
Yeah, now we only have to. Yeah, now you only have to do one shot since you've already had the virus. I don't know. Um, I yeah. think I'm going to do two. I don't know. Well, no, we're not. Yeah, yeah. When I originally read the science, they were pretty much saying that uh, you know you would need maybe probably just one shot if you're taking the Pfizer or the uh, Mardana. Now, in the case yeah. of Johnson Johnson, it's already one. It's already one shot anyway. So. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Johnson Johnson is only going to be one shot. Period. That's it. Oh, that uh, I didn't know. Um, but I did be... have a friend of mine. I don't know where you're at because, like, this is not California. This is in Texas. But she got hers because um, the place that her doctors, um, I guess some people never showed up to their appointments. And hmm. so they actually just gave it to her because they didn't want to waste the vaccine. So um, I don't know the likelihood of that happening here in L.A., Um, but, you know, um, I feel like if if you're one of those people who don't want to wait, obviously, and, like, you can get a spot, like, obviously take that, (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah. Pretty much everyone I know has been vaccinated um, except for Steve, so, but he never leaves the house anyway, so. (laughs) Um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, my second shot's tomorrow. I mean, not tomorrow. I mean, is. Thursday, Thursday. Did you Did Thursday, you have yeah, any tomorrow. symptoms? Uh, Thursday, I'll be the first. Second shot's Thursday because to because right now I'm out of town in a secret location, and I'm going to be out of town all day tomorrow right. for meetings, uh, and so, and but so I had to so but then, uh, so Thursday will be my second shot of the Pfizer. The first time, basically, I just got a sore arm for about 24, 48 hours. And Did you I get really, that COVID arm that everybody's talking about, I guess? I don't know, where, like, you get, like, this huge rash or something? Uh, no, I didn't do that at all. Uh, and you had no, the Pfizer that. one, correct? Uh, yeah, I had the Pfizer one. So, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and if people yeah, so, are like, "Oh, I'm so worried about the symptoms," I'm like, um, "I rather have like small flu-like symptoms than COVID itself." Yeah. All right. Like, I'm yeah, willing so they, to take that chance. Yeah. So, what they say? We're going to take a quick break here. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Um, Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Yes, uh, 
Tom Donaldson back here. Uh, uh, Coco. Yes. Okay, for a second, I'm about to apologize. Uh, I had a little hiccup with my uh, with my set over here, and so I'm going to apologize to the audience. This is not this is me, and Dr. Larry had a little hiccup as well. So, Dr. Larry, what's going on? Yes, I'm back. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? So, yes, I can hear. Yes, you. we can hear you. Okay. Sorry, I had a little phone trouble there. Yeah. Well, yeah, so did I. Okay, uh, so here's the thing. I want to do tonight something a little different. Uh, I want to kind of talk about is the cancel culture hurting comedy. I want to kind of get both of your views on that. Uh, and here's yeah, the reason I why. Mixed, I, I have mixed views about cancel culture. Um, yeah. Can I start? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so on the one yeah, side, like if if I at the one side, if someone's just like absolutely an awful person, and it's like you like no, you know, um, then you know I would be for. But I I honestly kind of hate cancel culture because it's like it it seems like any like little bit of something they do offensive is like automatically cancels them. And I think it, it's stupid. Like, the whole Peppy Lip Pew thing, I think, is, like, absolutely stupid. It's, like, a freaking cartoon, guys. It's, you know, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. dumb. You know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like, you know, a lot of times, like, if there's someone out there, like, here's Morgan, who I, I absolutely hate. I just thought it so hilarious today how yeah. he was bitching about Meghan Markle and like he's he said awful things about her in the past this isn't something new he's always been like yeah. this and he gets he gets grilled on the morning show and then he walks away like he quits right away which is kind of ironic because like a couple of days ago he was talking about well why couldn't they stick it out and here he is can't handle an interview walks off the set and quits the show so I mean mm. I just I found that kind of hilarious yeah. When I when I saw well, that, yeah, yeah. See, my problem is this. Has always been my point: is I, you know, who gets to do the counseling, <laughs> the counseling, and that's always been my big issue. Is you know who's the one who's the uh, who's the you know well which you know who's going to be the one doing all the counseling? Because quite frankly, there are a lot of things that are getting canceled. You, you've just met Pepe Le Pew. Uh, you know, we we got into the Dr. Seuss aspect now, and to me. The simple solution to the Dr. Seuss whole thing was very simple. You just redo the cartoons that they have. Because uh, because the whole purpose of Dr. Seuss was to preach, you know, Rachel, you know, you know, he was an ant, you know, he was he opposed bigotry. He was basically making the point we should all, you know, treat each other with respect. And and obviously some of the cartoons that were some of the back issues were based on something that's like you know, you know, how long ago? What was the, the original Doctor Seuss, Larry? Do you remember? I'm thinking the 50s, 40s. No, I, I, uh, I haven't followed that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even know who he is, early. Well, you, you don't know Doctor Seuss, me like Cat in the Hat? Not really. I, I, uh, I vaguely know that it's something for children, but. Uh, Unfortunately, I have never had uh, direct experience. <laughs> I've lived oh, a sheltered Lord. life. Yeah, I said, oh, my Lord. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what we used to read. You know, you know Cat in the Hat. Uh, green eggs and ham. Let me. Coco, you. I mean, your, your parents, did they read you Cat in the Hat? Coco. Uh, Coco? Well. Okay, well, like I say, Coco will be right back with us in a second here. But, yeah. No, this was the uh, old-fashioned, uh, 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 no, old, yeah, this is like the original. I mean, this is like, okay, it's, I think the original was in the 1930s. So. Uh, Before my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, anyway, yeah, it thought, seems yeah. like it was a pretty yeah. harmless thing, and and why they would take after him is kind of. Yeah. Well, let me say, yeah, I mean, a lot of it dealt more or less with the art. Uh, you know. And so, but yeah, so uh, it was basically art. But uh, uh, Coco is uh, had a little difficulty. We won't get back. She's going to be. You know, she's trying to call back in, so she got uh, a little issue there. All right. Well, here's the thing. You know, I mean, like I say, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, to me, like I say, my question is, who gets to do the counseling? I mean, who's the person in charge of all of this? And it sounds like to me it's kind of a one-sided counseling so far. Uh, you know, cat in the hat, I mean, it's almost like anything you've ever done in your past can be catch up to you. And... And as there's part of me says, you know, people say stupid things. Yeah, you know, I, you know, unless some action is there to demonstrate that the person's a horrible human being. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it seems to me, you know, you know, why are we, you know, you know, the cancel. You know, like I say, why should, you know, who's going to get the authority to cancel? Because I don't. Know, it just seems like to me we, we got ourselves way on this. So. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, what's your thought there? Well, I I just don't understand irrational rejection of basically everything. Uh, it just seems to me to be uh, completely uh, uh, nihilistic and. Yeah. That means that people are uh, really, you know, in a situation that uh, is just, just it, it's it's intolerable. I mean, you have to yeah. you have to have a certain uh, problem of uh, uh, your own psyche in order to uh, engage in that kind of activity seriously. Um, it means that you know you're just you're just down on, on virtually everything that's familiar, and yeah. of course they pick up. I mean, the rest of us, you know, we can't figure out what where they're going to go next <laughs> because it's so irrational. Yeah. So, and, and it's very um, dangerous too, because people that you know it, it thrives on hatred, and uh, hatred can. He, under certain circumstances, can be uh, 
resulting in uh, in, in violence and uh, harm to yourself and others. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I say, it's, uh, I, I, like I say, it, there's the aspect, here's the other aspect of the, well, I mean, this is the reason I want to kind of get, you know, uh, yeah, hopefully, like I say, we can get Coco back because we get the Hollywood side to, you know, get some kind of the Hollywood side because there are just certain things today that, you know, let me, you know, I look at, there are certain movies today that could not be made uh, today under any circumstance. Even let's say, you know, you know, for example, I doubt that you could ever see ever again uh, Blazing Sounds. I mean, I can't see that movie being made today. And it's one of the funniest movies out there. I don't know if you ever uh, saw the movie uh, Blazing Saddles. Well, I don't. I don't see too many movies. <laughs> You must think yeah. I'm kind well, of a hermit, I'm but to, uh, yeah. I was say, Larry, I'm getting to think that you have lived a very deprived. Yeah. <laughs> well, be, be, between uh, between uh, news and sports, that's that's about my that's about all I ever watch. Occasional movie on television, I guess. But. Uh, so I'm not I'm uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure you're a critic when it comes to uh, movies. You better talk okay. to Coco about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. Well, I say we have to. Like I say, we're having a little issue uh, with her phone. So. Okay. Yeah. So. Now she's been telling me that she's had some internet issues, uh, so we'll try to see because uh, I do want to get her back on because I think you know she would add to this aspect of the show. So, uh, but what well, I can say, I mean that's the. Hello. 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 Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I lost you there for I, a minute. Yeah, well, I have to apologize there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, okay. Then. But yeah, you say it, that, that's the issue. I mean, that's to me is always the issue. Here's the other issue that comes into play here. Yeah, I wanted to get in the comedy. Let me put it this way: You ever, you are you a fan of Groucho Marx? Am I fans of who? Groucho Marx, Marx Brothers. No, I'm not. I, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay. Well, they were like the, they were a comedian in the 1930s, the early 40s. Uh, if you ever get a chance, one of the greatest political satire you'll ever see is uh, Duck Soup. Great political satire. You would actually enjoy it. It's it's scratchable. I mean, it you know it it basically satires it satires diplomacy. It satires you know you know politics. You know, there's this one scene where he does this song, and he says, "If you think everything's screwed up now, just wait till I finish with you." 
Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. 
Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files. Uh, and don't forget, you can get this podcast or anything else. If you want to listen, re-listen to the show again or just think of something you might have missed, you can uh, go to the Bachelor News Radio Network. Bachelor News Radio Network. And if you want to call in, 646-929-0130, 646 Zero one three zero. All right, let me take this even another. I'm going to take this even another step here, because I've been doing a series on science and the politicalization of science. And here's a good example. Amazon. There's a book uh, that was on transgender, and and the thing is that. It was more of a critique. It was a critique, but it was a very interesting book. And I'm and I'm, you know, I'm in the process of reading it, and and it's basically okay. The title is "When Harry Becomes Sally," and he talks about you know the transgender moment. And his and one of the things he did. I mean, the interesting thing he, he makes it very clear. Look, you know, you know, gender dysphoria is an issue. Uh, he doesn't discount that. He basically states, you know, you need to treat people with respect, regardless. He, you know, it's and what, but what he's done is, you know, do the science and what he's looking at the science. He says, okay, is that ninety percent, let's say, of children who have this desire to be the opposite sex, or feel they're trapped in a body, or, or transgender. He, you know, ninety percent of them. Well, by the time they become adults, accept who they are. And his point was, you look at the science, and you look at the fact, okay, do not need to have surgery or take these drugs, no matter how, you know, because these are not innocuous drugs that, you know, you use when you go through the transition. And the surgery is a complicated surgical procedure. But yet you see... And his, you know, what his, the point he was making is the science doesn't necessarily support transition, beginning your transition with younger children, you know, using drugs to prevent puberty. Uh, as an example, there are side effects that will affect those children if they, and two, once you begin the surgical procedure, there are aspects of this that's irreversible. And his point is, why rush it through when? You know, why rush this through if this is going to be the end result? And he basically, and, and the thing is, you know, they, you know, Amazon quit producing the book. They, you know, you can't get the book through Amazon. Uh, and by, you know, a lot, of, yeah. And this is the point I'm making here because because you read the book. There's nothing in the book that doesn't say, you know, 
He, for example, he quotes a couple of John Hopkins psychiatrists who are very well, you know, probably the experts in this. And for years, John Hopkins wouldn't do the surgery because they didn't find the result. More often than not, the results were not. I mean, the, the mental health did not improve with the with the patients. You know, once they made the transition. So for years, up until let's say between 1980 and 2016, you couldn't get that surgery at John Hopkins. Uh, and uh, and so you know, and again, like I say, they you know, like I say, these are psychiatrists don't discount it. They don't say you shouldn't do it. They just simply say that there are side effects and that it's not necessarily the cure all. And by censoring this and censoring the aspects of it, you know, my view is very simple, is if we can't have an honest scientific debate and we're going to censor what you don't like because it doesn't fit the narrative, we're going to end up hurting more people than we're actually going to end up helping. And certainly this is not how science is done. I mean, you you got your PhD. You tell me. You know, science is about uncertainty. And the fact that, A, what what we know today may be tomorrow proven to be wrong. Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, it's censorship, which is uh, a certain is bound to lead to uh, bad things. Uh, it, it leads us to, it comes from uh, small-mindedness, and it leads to uh, uh, even smaller, uh, smaller perspectives and and uh, lazy intellectual uh, laziness. So, uh, to begin with, I think that's that that is that's it is it is um, has been a a sin against uh, free uh, free. Free speech has always been a virtue, and and uh, censorship has been a sin in the, the civic uh, language of the United States. And as well, I believe I think that uh, that the uh, small-mindedness and the narrow perspective, and the the usually the authoritarian personalities that go that are behind it, are overall much more dangerous to society than anything that uh, people might say. And uh, so I, I think it's a bad thing, and, and I think it's, it is, but I agree that it is uh, likely to uh, lead to uh, very bad uh, outcomes for the United States of America if we uh, allow it to uh, yeah. persist. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, because the science is not one of those things that you can sit back. It's not neat. It's not always in a straight line. And the thing is, if you base, if you get the science wrong and you try to base policy on it, uh, bottom line is going to be, uh, the bottom line is going to be, you're going to end up doing more damage to society than you're actually going to end up helping. So, uh, I mean, that's the problem you run into. With this, yeah, I mean, uh, you see this with the COVID. Not just society uh, either; it's also human individuals. Right, exactly, individuals. But you know, because here's the thing: if you look at the COVID science, 
how much of it we got wrong and how much of it the policies we got wrong. Uh, you know, and they'll mean the damage that was done. You, know, you compare, let's say, Florida with uh, New York or California, and tell me which which one of those states did a better job. It was the state that basically ignored the conventional wisdom coming out of the CDC and the National Institute of Health, and basically went and followed those so-called skeptics who proved to be absolutely correct in their analysis of what the science was with COVID, and the damage done has been incalculable. And we're seeing the same thing with climate change. You know, again, you know, there's certain science that's no longer allowed to be discussed, or certain people would have difficulty getting published. Never mind the fact that their science is pretty, pretty good. And if we get that policy wrong, we're not talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of people dying of starvation around the world. We're not talking about, let's say, an unemployment rate of 6%. What we're talking about is billions of people dying and pretty much the end of, you know, and basically putting the United States and the rest of the world back into the early 20th century, late 19th century technology. You know, you're absolutely correct. Uh, so, which brings me to an interesting point. I don't know if you caught this story. I just caught this story. Uh, but it appears that there's now a sixth person who has accused our, uh, Andrew Kumo of, you know, of inappropriate behavior. It seems like this every day this guy gets something new. That, that, that was quite a transition. Yeah. From science, <laughs> from uh, <laughs> being against science to suddenly uh, talking yeah. about Andrew uh, Cuomo. Here's my thing with Andrew Cuomo. We, is this. He was listed as the gold standard on how to deal with pandem- the pandemic. Wrote a book. He was the guy everybody lifted up. Rondi Santinas was the guy everybody criticized. Oh, you're killing people by the bundle. You know, they're going to bring out the, you know, what's the old, you know, kind of like the old bubonic plague. You know, bring out the dead, bring out the dead. And he was. Not only did Kumo get the science wrong, but he, uh, you know, more people ended up dying in New York than died in Florida both in raw terms and on a per capita basis, even though Florida's got a slightly larger population with a slightly larger elderly population, which is usually a pretty good indicator, you know, whether you know what kind of death total you're going to end up with is the number of elderly that you're going to have in a specific state. And and he was held up as the gold standard. I mean, this guy was a wrote a book, got it, you know, the guy got an Emmy for his book. You know, he got it. You got it. He got an award for this book, leadership during the pandemic. Yeah, and the, and the irony is that I listened. I, I was listening to uh, to uh, uh, the uh, governor of Florida uh, the other day, and he actually did his own calculation. I mean, he he did he he did his his policy based upon his own. Um, understanding of what the what the reality was, 
and it turns out he was he was right, and every and the uh, scientists were too so narrow minded that they turned out doing more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the independent thinking, his independent thinking, that got him where he was. Uh, I found that pretty uh, interesting. Well, here's the thing, because I had a chance to talk to some people in Florida, you know, who, you know, like I said, there's a group called Rational Ground that, you know, we feature some of their researchers on our show, on my show on a routine basis. And I was talking to the lady that works for them out of Florida, and she said, you know, this guy's a nerd. I said, what do you mean? He said, I mean, this, you know, he, he reads the science. He actually looks at stuff. You know, he researches stuff. And, and one of the things he did, he went outside of the Washington establishment, scientific establishment, and talked to other people, you know, people like Scott Atlas, who eventually you know, did come in to advise the Trump administration, uh, and, you know, people like Martin Kulendorf out of Harvard, Mar- you know, Michael Levette, who is a Nobel Prize winner, and he basically sat them down and says, okay, Here's what we, you know, what do we truly have? And they said, okay, you, here's what the virus does. You know, here's who's dying. Uh, and this is, you know, you know, this is the numbers that we could see. And and they, they basically said, okay, it's okay to send the kids, you know, open the schools. Because the evidence would suggest that while children do get the virus, they're less likely to die from it, and they're less likely to transmit. Doesn't mean they won't get it. Doesn't mean they, you know, but it does mean that they were less likely, and and that the human cost of taking them out of school was costly, you know. And they basically pointed out here are the side effects of the lockdown that we need to be talking about: mental health, uh, delayed treatment for common, you know, for chronic diseases. Uh, you know, the schools, their children falling behind in schools, and the impact that's going to have on their lives. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. What he did is he basically went outside of the scientific community and the the Washington established community, and and started picking the brains of other people and say, you know, you know, what's the right path to go? And he proved to be absolutely correct. Another example of that is Greg Abbott of uh, of uh, Texas. You know, I was listening to him this, today, and there's another guy that very uh, independent. You know, he said, "Well, he, I mean, he, he thought it through, and he came to the conclusion that it, uh, the lockdown was not doing any good to anybody, and uh, neither was uh, the uh, the uh, with the particularly with the vaccine coming on now, you know, the people should be able to make up their own minds as to what they were going to do because the the uh, common danger was somewhat uh, uh, in question anyway to begin with. And, and secondly, it really uh, was not uh, followed uh, very, very well by most people. And anyway, he, he decided to let the whole thing uh, leave it up to the individuals, and boy, did they ever try to they tried to change his mind all over the place. And of course, he had worked it out for himself. And by George, he was he was going to keep it. Well, I mean, here's the thing: because I mean, what he did, he looked at the Florida model, and he said, "Well, you know, 
you know, how long can yeah. I keep people? You know, you there's only so long you can keep people locked up before, you know, either way they rebel. Especially Americans. Yeah. And the other thing is how long can you, like I say, how long can you uh, keep these people? Because let's face it, I mean, right now, right now we are looking at, uh, okay, trillions of dollars being added to a stimulus because people are being, are not working. They're being kept from working by the, by various state governments. And there's a point somewhere where, you know, eventually these people got to start working. I mean, you can't keep people paying people trillions of dollars. Uh, oh yes, you can when you're printing it. Yeah, but eventually, uh, that's the old saying. Eventually, uh, you can only print so much before inflation pops up. So what? We don't care about that. We're just gonna <laughs> oh, we're just gonna do what everybody wants. More yeah, money. Well, more money. Well, somewhere along the line, somebody you know, eventually, you know, they get, you know, it's the old saying, all, thing, all things come to an end. Um, this is Tom Donaldson here with uh, Dr. Larry uh, here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited yes buffalo wild wings if you want to become a sponsor of this show or even the dr larry's show you know la bachelor 40 at gmail.com give us a call we've got packages available for you to be an official sponsor of the donaldson files or the resistance hour with dr larry and tom so LABachelor40 at gmail.com. And, again, um, the website is The Bachelor Radio Network, News Network. The Bachelor Radio News Network. So, dot com. So, okay, back to where we were. Well, here's the thing with, I mean, here's the thing with Kuma. Kuma, there are two aspects of the story, three aspects. The second aspect is the media coverage of this guy. I mean, it was like, I mean, this. I mean, he, he was getting interviewed by his brother, which you know should have been a no-no for any serious school of journalism. You would think he was being looked at as the hero, the guy who knows everything. He's got great press conferences, and and I can tell you this much: I knew in May that the numbers of people they were reporting dying in. Nursing homes were nonsense. You know, they were absolute nonsense. And the reason were very simple is two things. Number one, even though New York had a policy of putting COVID patients into nursing homes, they were only reporting small numbers of deaths compared to a lot of states. A lot of states were looking. I mean, the average nursing home patients make up 40% of the deaths in the United States and COVID in general. He's reporting 20%. So 
So that didn't make sense. And then uh, he changed the way they counted. And this, by the way, was on the New York, you know, health website. Namely, we're only going to count, you know, people who die in nursing homes. If they go to the hospital, they don't count as nursing home deaths. Well, it didn't take a genius to figure out if you had any journalistic or any journalistic uh, curiosity, curiosity, you would have covered it. I mean, this is one of those stories you could have covered. This should have been done last May, last June, when it was self-evident that something was going, it was a mess. But they didn't know, not only did they not report it, and only did they not investigate it, they made this guy look like a hero. And now look at him. He's being canceled out by the council culture because it turns out that he has a bad habit of uh, making advances on women. And that's what they may end up getting him impeached for, not the fact that he's responsible for the death of about 15,000 senior citizens. Your thoughts? Well, I don't think it was 50,000, but still, no, 15, if, if it 15, was 50, 000. it was too many. No, that's 15,000. Yeah. 15, yeah, I think that um, it, it's, it's just a very sad situation when all of our all of our heroes turn out to be heels. And, uh, and then, of course, people are very hypocritical about the way they uh, the way they treat the way they uh, talk about them. I mean, uh, I, I think well, I'm not, I guess I won't go there. But um, <clears throat> I thought one of the one of the real situations that that ever happened in in American uh, history was when they uh, had such a the Republicans had such a fit about um, about uh, Clinton's uh, fooling around with the girl and. And then they came to the they came to this the Speaker of the House and he resigned because of the same problem and and, and his uh, second resigned for the same problem. So you know it, it's just just all of this. First of all, why is it, why is it so much of much of it? And secondly, even though there is a lot of it, um, you know why why. Let's just be a little more realistic. I don't know. It's it's just it's just very it's just sort of very discouraging. Well, I mean, in a way, it is. But but here's the thing to me is that the, the, to me the story of Kumo is very simple. He was an arrogant individual to begin with, and he was a very. But the one thing he had was fear. I mean, he was one of these politicians. If you're in New York and you were a Democrat. You would fear this guy because if you crossed him, he would destroy your career. And if and 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 so basically, there was that aspect. He was the you know he was the kind of politicians you didn't turn. The other aspect, he was he's an ambitious man. But and he tried to use the pandemic as a way to enhance his own first you know possible presidential run down the future. And and the thing to me that was always was uh, the bothersome was is that this guy was a heel, 
people knew he was a heel. They covered it up. And now they're basically, it's like every, it's like Katie barred the door. Uh, you know, he is, it's more than, and I, and I have to be honest with you, there's a part of me that says, because it's coming from the Democrats now, it's not just the Republicans coming after them. Uh, the attorney general issued the report, in fact, basically saying that Mark, you know, Andrew Kumo was lying about all of the nursing homes. Uh, you know, outright lying about it. But she's a potential governor in her own right. I mean, she views, you know, she is thinking about being a governor. So it made sense for her to release this information because it benefited her politically. In other words, if it wasn't for the fact that you had a very ambitious politician who had the goods and released the goods on another politician – a lot of this would still be covered up today. And in the end, he's not going to be leaving the office because, you know, he's responsible for the death of about 15,000 uh, senior citizens. Yeah, it may be because he happens to be a heel with women. And the fact that people died under his watch because of his policies, or uh, there's a part is insignificant. And somehow that doesn't seem right either. Your thoughts? Well, he—he, he, you know, you've got you've got these political dynasties that uh, are in American uh, political life. You've got you've got the Kennedys and the Bushes, and and you also have the Cuomos. Uh, they never actually had a president yet, but. Uh, They've been around for a long time. Uh, Mario Cuomo was oh, he sh- probably should have run for president in ninety ninety one. Yeah, he probably would have won, although he didn't have the guts to do it. Um, but uh, you, you, so so then they they, they kind of take on a certain amount of uh, inherited power because of all the people that they grew up with and that you know are very uh, high-ranking uh, officials, usually in in politics, <clears throat> not so much in business. And, uh, and then something like this comes up, and it really comes up, it seems like, in most of the, <clears throat> most of the fa- these uh, fantasy, uh, I mean, uh, these dynasties, uh, you know, you could say the Bushes didn't, didn't didn't seem to uh, suffer from that, but there are a lot of rumors about that too, um, and uh, not so much uh, George W. But uh, the old man. So, you know, they they grow up in 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 these very sort of privileged uh, environments, and uh, th- so they do things that you know a lot of people wouldn't either wouldn't think of doing or. Or, or if they did, they they would not be very uh, open about it. They would be uh, pretty uh, secretive about it. And these guys, they, they they just don't, you know, they don't really think that way because they feel pretty pretty invulnerable. And uh, it's just it's just kind of it's part of the the I don't know part of the sickness I guess of. Uh, uh, being uh, 
too pri- little over too privileged. That that sounds well, like a lot of bias, but <laughs> it probably is. Well, you know, here I mean, no, but here's the thing. I mean, somebody like Akumo, uh, you know, he had all the advantages from a political point of view, but I also think that he found him. He thought himself immune. You know, yeah, he could essentially I, I, I do anything. Yeah, you know, he could do anything do. that he. Y'all do. And sometimes it doesn't turn out that way. But, you know, in this particular case, uh, you know, it, you know it, I, I, I say to me, you know, the hypocrisy, per se, that we see with all of this, but it's even worse in the sense that in the case of Kumo, the media had the story last May. All you had to do, you know, if I could figure this out in May, from Iowa, it didn't. You know, you know, why couldn't somebody from the New York Times figure this out? Why couldn't somebody from the Daily News figure this out? It wasn't all. I mean, the the breadcrumbs were already there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we we are going to be running a little bit later than normal. Um, we had some uh, technical issues, so we're going to keep. Uh, so, if you're here to listen to you and the law. Stay on this station because uh, they'll be coming back. They'll be coming on in about two or three minutes. Um, and we are, like I said, we're running over because we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, uh, which, uh, you know, which uh, was uh, dealt with uh, uh, on our part. It was, uh, we had some phone issues. Uh, and Coco is basically, you know, she's been having some issues with the Internet in L.A., and so this was not a network situation. This was not the Bachelor News Network situation, but this was a situation dealing with you know, some phone issues on our part, and we apologize to the audience. And uh, Chief, Keith, and uh, Virgil, uh, stay tuned. You're, you're, you're coming on. Uh, so we you know, wanted to let you know that. Uh, but, uh Yeah. No, that, that, that's the aspect that comes to me in the play and all of this because, you know, it, it, you know, if it was, you know, if it, I guess it came down to, you know, he was the anti-Trump in May of 2020. Today, he's expendable. It's basically you know, his political career. I don't see him. You know, I'm not sure he'll get impeached, but I don't see him. Running in two thousand two twenty two for governor. I think his political career is uh, basically hit the wall. Yeah, well, I think a, <clears throat> I always think of Richard Nixon. You know, granted he never ran for anything else, but he sure made a comeback. And uh, after probably the worst. Uh, <laughs> The worst situation any president has ever faced, and he's the only one that ever resigned. But you know, he came back and and be, wrote books that were very um, well received, and he was considered a wise man of the uh, of the party of, at toward the end. And so, I guess there's redemption for everybody. Well, well. I don't know. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess so, we're still having technical difficulties. 
yeah, I mean, well, you know the case of Nixon. Though. Nixon was one of those very bright. I mean, he's one of the more, you know, people realize how smart Nixon truly was. I mean, he was a very well-read, well-versed individual on so many different issues. And that was part of the success that he had. And, you know, that was part, I think, the reason why they, they, you know, he was able to make a comeback. But the other aspect of it was he didn't run for office. Uh, he didn't run for office. And he, you know, stayed. Well, not after front. he resigned, though. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he didn't, after he resigned, he didn't run for office. In the case of Andrew Kumar, I don't see him at all. I mean, like I said, I think his political career is over. It's a case of either he's going to get impeached or they're going to – or he's just not – or he won't run for reelection, or he'll lose in a primary. But I don't see him advance. I mean, I just cannot uh, you know, see his political career advancing any further than what it is right now. You know, I think you're seeing the end of the Kumo reign in New York, and I do think that there will be – and I think the rest of the Democratic Party in New York have had, you know, they, you know, they're ready to move on from uh, Andrew. Uh, that's my view. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson here with the Donaldson Files. I want to thank, thank Dr. Larry for coming on the show with us. Um, you know, apologize again. Uh, Coco uh, was on for a while, but she had some internet issues that was coming from her internet server in California. So this is Tom Donaldson saying Welcome, everyone, to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where hopefully everybody is having a a great uh, day, and uh, we're glad that you have tuned in to one of the hottest law enforcement podcast shows uh, around, and uh, today we're going to be joined, me and my co-host have a a special guest that's going to be joining us on the show. if you are a uh, uh, a fan of uh, the A&E Network and the First 48, then you're going to definitely recognize the voice of, uh, of now the retired Dave Walker with the uh, Tulsa Police Department. Uh, he's going to be a, a guest on our show uh, and talk to us about um, just the, the life of a homicide investigator. So we're excited to, to have him join the show. But... Uh, before I move on, I need to introduce everyone to the king himself, and he goes by the name of Chief 
Swag. King Swag, how you doing today? Well, Keith Humphrey's not here yet, uh, Keith uh, Green, and uh, I'm sure he'll be on shortly. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, hey, thank, thank you. We're going to bring on our our guest um, uh, to the show. Uh, he uh, is retired from Tulsa uh, Police Department after 30-something years of uh, working for the police department and I believe uh, over seven years as a homicide, lead homicide investigator, and he has one of the highest in the nation of, of solving homicide. So uh, we're, we're going to be speaking with somebody who has a, not a, a lot of knowledge in dealing with homicide investigation. And uh, Sergeant Walker, thanks for, for uh, coming on the show and being with us today, sir. Chief Crane, I appreciate it. Thank you for the invite. Chief Humphrey, when you come on, uh, good to meet you. Well, well, likewise, uh, and and I, I've just been informed that uh, the you know the the king has bestowed his presence upon us, Sergeant Walker. So, uh, uh, Chief Swag King Humphrey is is here with us now. So. Hey, hey, Sergeant Sergeant, it's nice, it's nice talking to you. Hey, 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 Green, when you said that, did you bow when you said my name? <laughs> Actually, I did. I did. I did the whole, okay. I bowed, you know, bowed to okay. the king, you know. Okay. That's all I want to know. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Sergeant Walker, man, it, it is a pleasure. Uh, you know, I, I told you earlier that uh, so many people have reached out uh, to me uh, on our social media Platform, they just couldn't believe that that we, we were going to have you on the show. You're you're, you're recognized all over, uh, all over. So it, it's definitely an honor to to have you come on and, and talk um, about uh, you know the life of a homicide investigator and just other um, things uh, related to law enforcement. But uh, won't you kind of let us and our listeners know uh, who is uh, Sergeant Dave Walker. Well, thank you, Chief, for uh, that. And it's uh, always nice to be recognized uh, at times. And I've had the the uh, availability or been afforded the opportunity to be recognized, and that's only because of the A&E First 48 and the Tulsa Police Department allowing that to be here. Uh, mm-hmm. I came from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Actually, I heard you talk last week with the uh, the chief about uh, Ferguson, Missouri. I grew up 6.9 miles from where uh, Michael Brown was shot and killed. So I know that area oh, wow. rather well. And okay. I'm from St. Louis. Uh, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. And I had no idea I was going to be a cop until about, oh, about two or three months in at the end of graduation from college. So um, it was was not in the plans to be a cop for the very longest, but once I got on and uh, in 1982 as a patrol officer, I, I loved it. I loved serving the people, and uh, it was just one of those jobs that, that felt right, and, you know, it's government work, so it was a steady income and, and a great <laughs> retirement. So, uh, yeah. man, uh, I, I experienced a lot of things uh, with law enforcement that uh, – I would not have done 
otherwise because I wasn't in the military. And so uh, even though law enforcement is nothing like the military, it's uh, it's a job that that's looked uh, looked. I mean, I always looked up to cops. It's kind mm-hmm. of uh, on um, maybe on the rails right at the moment, but I think it's uh, an honorable profession, and we just need to get back on the straight and narrow, and we'll be fine. I retired yeah. in 2018 um, and, and been trying to find something to do since, so I appreciate you taking my evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you you also started your own podcast uh, show uh, talking about, uh, homicides that, that you've worked on or, or related to well, to you know I appreciate you, you you giving me the plug it, it's not the best or the one like uh, you and the law but it is out there it's called solve them when you get them it's uh, podcasting for a purpose is how we started it uh, a friend of mine uh, is the camera guy for Jimmy Houston and he said well let's go and do one of these things about uh, two years ago, and we've been on since. We've got 54 uh, episodes out there that, that sometimes uh, deal with murders and sometimes just deal with uh, things law enforcement's going to. And, uh, man, it, it's uh, on Spotify and iTunes. It's not as uh, probably as well listened to as this one, but, you know, I appreciate you letting me plug it just a minute. Oh, well, hey, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, we're we're all trying to um, you know, let our listeners uh, become more informed about law enforcement and and what you do and what we do uh, is definitely something that I think uh, is is needed uh, across the country, uh, where people uh, are hearing from uh, people in the profession about what's going on behind the scenes, behind the scenes, and what's going on actually out in front of the scenes. So uh, definitely, it's. Uh, 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 you know, to, to let everybody know about your podcast show. So, um, kind of, so how did the the first four? How did you guys really get involved with the first forty eight? How did that come about? Was there uh, a, a buy in from the homicide division to to be a part of that? Because you know, everybody talks about Tulsa, and they talk about. I think people talk more about Tulsa than they do Atlanta. Or all the other, or even Memphis, because I know Memphis was was uh, was one of the first agencies that were a part of that uh, show when it first came on. Well, the way I understand how this all works behind the scenes, from uh, you know the, the four or five years that I was uh, kind of around the hierarchy of I, I, ITS, I think is the parent company of. The first 48, John Kim came down, but they go to the IACP conference. I, I know you guys talked about that last week. Oh, yeah. And um, that, that that group, uh, man, I, I think that they pitch it to all the chiefs out there, and they've got to have a buy-in from the city and the police department. And how that worked with us is Chief Jordan came down one day and said, uh, we're going to do it. And me being a good soldier I am said, yes, you are, and yes, we will, and we'll make it work. And it's actually been a blessing for, for the city of Tulsa. Uh, everybody on the in my squad, it, they're all leaders. Uh, I had 11, I think, that, that worked with me. They were picked because they're leaders, and, mm-hmm. and really they could have run the squad without me. And, uh, and eventually when uh, you leave, that's what you want. But they made it work. Uh, 
the the camera folks uh, for the first 48 are fantastic. They're embedded with us. They they show up. They run with us, and they're in all our huddles in the morning. Uh, they mm-hmm. actually become a part of the squad. Uh, so that's how that worked, and you know our solve rate is kind of good. Uh, Tulsa affords the, us that opportunity to, to solve them when we get them, actually, and uh, we've uh, we, we've done rather well. I, I, it's not me; it, it, it's the city, and it's the dedication of the officers that, that work for us. But you guys, being chiefs, you know how that works. Oh yeah, <laughs> you get yeah. an idea, you say it's going to happen, <laughs> and, and we make it happen for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, and, and hey Saul. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Keith. Uh, go ahead. I'll ask you because I know we're getting close to break. I'll ask you when we come back. Yeah, that's what I was just going to remind you. We're, we're getting ready to come up on break and uh, didn't want to get uh, too far into a uh, conversation. But uh, but uh, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, today we've got on uh, as a guest uh, retired homicide uh, investigator, uh, Sergeant Dave Walker with the uh, Tulsa Police Department out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, the life of a TPD homicide uh, detective and what all goes on with that. But uh, we're going to take this short break, and we'll be back with uh, Sergeant Dave Walker. But if you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Recovery Month has become widely recognized and does an outstanding job of celebrating recovery, increasing awareness, and acknowledging the amazing work of providers, advocates, people in recovery, and their families. I believe our work together is helping many Americans better understand, seek out, attain, and sustain recovery. What began as a small and very good idea has grown into a national, mainstream, sustained, and systematic public education and support effort, all focused on the message that people recover. Getting the message of recovery right is critical because people take action based on what they hear and see and, most importantly, what they experience. Experience shapes our knowledge, our values, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our action. Of those who recognized their need for treatment but didn't receive care, the number one reason was no health coverage and could not afford the cost. No one in need should be denied the opportunity for treatment and recovery in our country. Welcome back to You and the Law on the Bastion News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Chat room is open. If you have a question, hit us uh, up. If you have a question for uh, Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief uh, Virgil Green or their guest, you can hit us up there. Did they get a question, um, which is... Uh, it, you know, fair enough. I would say to to you guys that um, the the question was basically to your guests. Uh, 
um, cancel movement, uh, especially as it relates to law enforcement. Uh, we we saw a lot of law enforcement on A and E, where your guess is uh, with uh, forty eight hours, and uh, they're down to Pam um, and uh, the other things. That some some law enforcement stuff has been canceled due to the uh, deemed uh, the nature of the the public mentality, if you will. Um, what his thoughts is that the this cancel um, the climate culture is is taking place what he he thinks of it and has he had to make any adjustments uh, to that okay okay all right hey sergeant walker uh we'll let you uh answer that question for one of our listeners absolutely it's it's a great question it's an astute question it's obviously one that's uh in in the forefront and uh you know the, the what was the show live pd uh, focused on, on Tulsa on some of the, the occasions, and it got canceled. And actually, one of the live PD guys is uh, Sean Larkin, a, a lieutenant with us, and he uh, was a, a host, and it got canceled right before A&E took it off the air. Um, mm-hmm. and TV is for entertainment, and some of the stuff we do on the street is not very entertaining. So I didn't really watch any of these shows. I know my wife told me about the first 48 before it came on, and I said, you know, I don't want to watch it because, heck, I'm living it. So why would I? But as the first 48 is a little bit different, um, it's more like a dateline type thing. Plus, you have to have a buy-in from the family. And that's one thing mm-hmm. the, the live PD shows didn't have is – uh, they just showed you the body cams, and you get you as you are. So if a family doesn't want their murder case um, broadcasted uh, and, and aired, then um, A&E and, and the First 48 respected that, and so did we. We went about our business, whether uh, it was on, on the air or going to be aired sometime in the future. Uh, it didn't really matter. So uh, I think the buy-in from the family has kind of cushioned the First 48 from all of the uh, rhetoric of, of live PD and showing people at their worst and not even having to say whether they're on TV or not. So that, yeah, I mean, okay. it's, it's actually a benefit, like I've said, for, for the city of Tulsa, as I've seen it uh, in the years that we've worked. Well, you know, sorry, that's interesting that you bring, that you make that comment because I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. And the fact that, you know, live PD, you know, it's it's gone. It's not even in reruns. But, you know, the first 48, you can catch the first 48, you know, pretty much 24-7, depending on where you're at. And so, because uh, I know, you know, uh, I've watched it and, and, uh, and get into some of the cases that you guys are, are working in, how you, you guys solve those cases in. They they don't always solve in that first forty eight. You know, some go weeks, some go months. But it's but it's really interesting to know that the that the family is even consulted uh, before you guys even uh, work that case, or or that case is even actually aired on TV. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, with permission, and even. Mm-hmm. The people we interview, you see them blacked out at times, or uh, you get their voices are, are skewed. Uh, they they haven't signed on. Uh, yeah, we do everything we can to to 
to make it right for those folks. And if they're pushed on the shove, I think they canceled it. You know, they won't show the episode. So it's pretty good that way. Oh, okay. Uh, Keith, you had a question before the break. Yeah, I did. And, and one of the things I'd like to, to say to the sergeant is that when, you know, when you look at those, those episodes in Tulsa, uh, the one thing that I think you get, and you get this from other cities, but you get the, fact of the of the passion for solving these cases not for a number oh yeah say we got mm-hmm. this solved or we got this clearance rate but it's the it's the mission of each and every one of those investigators to find and and what i think the the listeners need to know that's 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 what you get in mid-sized the large agencies you get it's a team effort i mean you get a homicide these these guys are on call, you know, they, they may have a rotation, they may not. These guys get a call and they're there and, and you have these you have these detectives that they do not stop until they solve the case or until they get a uh, a viable lead. So I think I just wanna shout out to you, tell you I appreciate the hard work. I know you're retired but you know, you set the tone for what's going on there and I will say this, Sergeant. You know, there's one of the guys on there that wears a bow tie, but I think I wear a bow tie better than him. <laughs> well, well, thank goodness. I bet you talk better than he does too, because that that guy cussed everywhere he went. <laughs> he was a, a, no, you, a, a you, just, you know, athlete. When you, well, when you can when you can show, and I, and I think you know it's important to citizens to know that you that in those situations, in those homicide cases, we get. Uh, emotionally connected. Uh, you know, it's it's you've got to find out everything you can, no matter what the incident is or what led to the person's death. Uh, you you've got to find out more and more about that individual so that you can say, okay, okay, we get it now. Or, you know, it shows the family that you really do care, and, and you guys have done a great job. Well, I appreciate that, but and it's like you said, the homicide. Uh, and any really detective takes their cases seriously, uh, and you have to. And homicide victims' families, they are a special breed. I mean, it doesn't matter what the victim was doing, who the victim is, the history of it. It's it just it didn't matter. When we go knock on their door and give them that news, it is the same reaction from everybody. Um, and, boy, once you feel that personally, I'm getting like, oh, Tingly right now, it's you. You got to solve it, and you, you know, and you just do it until you you get it done. And you do not, yeah. not let no be the answer, and, and that's what we've done here, and we do it, you know, nationwide. It's that way, Chief. So I appreciate that. Yeah, well, and, and you know, uh, uh, Sergeant Walker, one, you know, when you watch, and, and you guys, there's a lot of professionalism that's put into the show, and this isn't, you know, just made for TV. Because you guys are, uh, you know, really sincere about solving uh, the death of, of of someone, whether it was whether they were doing something right or whether they were doing something wrong, and uh, because you know, I I just I watched uh, one of the shows a couple of days ago where a young man lost his life, and I believe uh, the it was it was really sad to know that the father, a cousin, another friend had 
were, were all involved in the death of this young man. And, yeah, it may have started out as a domestic violence, but to know that the fathers, it was almost kind of like a hit. I'm going to send you guys over here to rough him up, but they didn't rough him up. They killed him. So that that was to see how that whole case unfolded was really interesting uh, in the fact that this young man lost his life because of just an overzealous uh, father uh, who, at the end of the day, he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, unfortunately, I think uh, there's a lot of people spending the rest of their life in prison that had they have that opportunity to take back, they would. Um, man, there's just so many mistakes made early on in, in that murder crime, especially if it's one that's domestic related. You know, I always said mur- um, murders happen because of money, sex, drugs, and a vendetta. And some of those, you know, they're just not thought out. That's why we get after it. We get after it in a hurry. And uh, it is a team effort, Chief Humphrey. You're, you're correct. Everybody has has a, a part to play. And it doesn't matter who gets the recognition. Uh, like I said, it could be the chief of police making the arrest or a rookie cop. It don't matter to us. Let's just get it done. Yeah. And And, yeah. and, and the listeners need to know that you guys do drink a bunch of coffee. <laughs> yes, sir. And it's not good coffee. <laughs> it's the cheap stuff. It gets, yeah, well, the, the coffee pot is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and as you know, you can probably tell from some of those uh, scenes that the coffee pot doesn't get cleaned out that often. So everybody just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why we're probably healthy. You know, you put a little crap in you. you <laughs> and old coffee yeah. is good coffee. It's good coffee, yeah. So I, I don't think I've been around a, uh, a police department that 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 had a, a good clean coffee pot. So um, that, that's something that I guess it, it makes the coffee better. <laughs> it's called yeah. it's seasoned. It's seasoned. It's seasoned. Seasoned. The pot and the mugs are all dirty. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, hey, Sergeant, so, you know, obviously after over 30-something years and working in law enforcement and I think almost, what, close to 10 years being a homicide uh, investigator, uh, that has to take some kind of toll on, on anybody. Uh, it, because of just the nature of, of the type of work that you guys deal with. Um, and just seeing death at any stage is bad. But, you you know, homicide investigators see the worst of the worst. And I think, you know, as a police chief, you sometimes you may respond to the scene of something really horrible, but you don't uh, – you're not there spending, you know, hours and hours, you know, gathering – you know, collecting evidence and, and talking to people. So uh, how does that impact you guys? Because you the, you guys in Tulsa have a very uh, – you guys get along very well. Uh, cause, and I watched the show when you retired, and, and I can't think of your uh, the other detective that's a real good friend with you, but he, he got pretty emotional that day when you guys – when you were – uh, when they had your retirement party. Well, uh, that man there is John Brown, and 
Yeah, actually, yeah, my, my wife just went over to their house for a Bible study, um, and John and I have been together, uh, working together, longer than our wives have. You know, we've been married, so it's 25 years. I think we we call uh, added it up. Uh, he would never promote, so I always had to lug him along. But there's, uh, <laughs> if you ever look on the first 48, if I'm going in one, he's going in two. He's always right there uh, with me. Uh, but you're right. We, we do see the worst of the worst, and uh, there's a bond that, that goes with that. Uh, but I tell you, in, in 2016, when we had four one night in a row, right after the other, I walked out of my garage and just said, I can't do it anymore. So it took me two years to get out of it, and that's usually how long it takes to, to wind down and put it in a, you know, that team in a spot where we could move on. Uh, each each detective does it different. Each cop does it different. It's just not the homicide guys that see it all. Uh, and I think we're seeing a, a a switch. And Chief, you probably know this to a peer to peer. And it's okay to say, hey, we're not okay. Uh, this was ugly, and we need to talk about it. And we get it out. And that maybe uh, keeps the alcoholism, the drug drug addiction, and uh, running around uh, to a minimum, and keeps us healthy. And I think uh, law enforcement communities are healthier today than they were back in the 80s and 90s. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting you bring that, that part up about the mental health and wellness of police officers, whether you're a patrol officer or, or you know, a homicide investigator. Uh, the fact that, as you know, there was, it has always been a stigma. You really don't talk about it. But do you see uh, – in this era of policing where more guys and women are, are talking amongst themselves about it and are trying to uh, reach out and get some other type of, of, of assistance and not fall into that uh, stigma of where people think, Oh, it's all about, you know, getting drunk and smoking and going out and partying. Well, I, I think we're getting closer to, to, uh, getting to the tip of the iceberg. It's a big ship and we're trying to turn it. Uh, You hear it talked about more and more. I don't know how really if people are doing it. I know people are not having the choir practices like we used to have, you know, at the end of a case, we'd all go drunk because the next one's coming in and it's really tough to work one of them things hung over. So nobody's really doing that so much anymore, at least um, outwardly. I mean, we used to sit on the parking lot after a shift and, and drink beer, but uh, that doesn't get done anymore. We're a little bit more health conscious, and as we're health conscious uh, physically, our mental state is better. And when your mental state's better, you're making better choices and decisions out there. And, and we've seen, uh, well, we just can't afford too many more bad decisions in, in law enforcement. It's just uh, not acceptable, and it's not getting covered up, and I don't think it should be. So uh, we got to be on top of our game when we uh, we go to work and uh, the mental aspect's a big part of it, and I don't think we're there yet by any stretch of the imagination. No, okay, okay. So, uh, Sergeant Walker, what you know, with everything that's been going on uh, this past year, and you know, we had the the uh, listener earlier, you know, had the the question about the cancellation of these shows in light of everything that's been going on with Black Lives Matter and all the protesting and, you know, the networks, you know, cancel those shows. 
Um, where do you see uh, law enforcement going in, you know, whether it be in the Tulsa area? Because, it, you know, a lot of people may not know, and it's not anything that to brag about or even to – but Tulsa has, has kind of had a high crime rate or uh, uh, kind of more so than Oklahoma City has had. But um, what do you with, – with everything that, that has happened this past year, in your opinion, where do you see things going in the direction with uh, law enforcement? I think it's a great question. It's a great time to be in law enforcement. It's a great time to be a chief of police so you can model and mold uh, where we're going as, as a profession. Um, but we're getting beat up, and rightfully so at times. They're, they're, we have to get better. I've said that in 2016 when we had a uh, officer-involved shooting. Uh, the, the day and age of, of us in law enforcement just saying trust us is over, and, and it should be, and it should have been many, many, many years ago. And I see law enforcement moving towards the direction of educating uh, the public more about what we're seeing, what we're doing. Um, these officer-involved shootings that, that happen real quick, uh, we're talking about hundreds of a second at times to, to make a decision. And then other times uh, we're just making bad decisions. Uh, but, I, but I see us being transparent, us as a profession being transparent, and, that, and that's the way it's going. And, and I think uh, we just need to, to come out and say when we're wrong, we're wrong and we're going to critique ourselves and we're going to get better. And every use of force incident uh, that, that takes a life or, or hurts somebody needs to be critiqued by that agency and nationwide and say, this is how we can handle that better. We don't do that really well as a profession and we didn't do it really well as a department uh, here in Tulsa. We, we can do better. And so I mm -hmm. see us getting better. And, you know, you guys in the administration, what, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity it is to, to turn it around. Now, socially, I think what it's going to happen is it's not law enforcement is the issue. I mean, the race issue is a race issue, and uh, people just need to, you know, get over that. Not, not the minorities now. I'm talking, talking about the people that are racist need to get over mm -hmm. it and get educated and move on down the road because – uh, I'm ready to take color out of everything, and let's just all be people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, guys, we're going to – coming up on uh, taking our, our next break, but we want to remind our listeners that you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And um, if you miss any parts of this show, um, you can catch us at thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. That's thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. Uh, if you missed any parts of the show where we've got on our uh, special guest, uh, retired homicide investigator, Sergeant Dave Walker with the uh, Tulsa Police Department. But, guys, we're going to take this uh, break, and we're going to come back and uh, finish up talking with uh, Sergeant Walker. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Back to the News Radio Network. If you've got a clogged up nose, simply stuffy. If you've got a snuffly nose, simply stuffy. 
If the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs. Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy. From the makers of Children's Tylenol, it has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you're sick or silly, smile, you simply stuffy. Simply Stuffy. Use as directed. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian slow-release nitrogen additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. to the show, uh, You and the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill and Carborough. I want to remind folks a couple things. If you miss any part of this broadcast, this great broadcast, uh, you can go to the website and uh, listen to this broadcast with the sergeant on and the chiefs on at uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. Um, if you're on the line now, you have a question, I will be uh, screening the calls. That's the producer of the show. Uh, so you will not be on the air live. We will ask questions to you. If you have a question or a comment, make sure you let us know you're not on the air live when you respond. We promise you. So if we screen you and say, hey, do you have a question? Uh, you can tell us if you have a question or not. If you're not, you can just listen to the show and enjoy like I am with Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green and and their guest, the sergeant. I, I do want to ask the sergeant, guys, if it's okay with you, a, a question, um, uh, you know, with, with everything uh, going on. And the respect that he said, um, uh, Sergeant, as it, uh, the respect that you had said in, in regards to law enforcement being real and being honest and being transparent, I would assume that you meant um, that uh, uh, as an African-American and as an African-American producer of, of two uh, African-American chief uh, police officers, which they don't have anything to do with my question or, or anything, um, I, I would be concerned, uh, sir, as a civilian, um, with the fraternal police that support, uh, that, that seem to support or seem to have this misconception, in my view, that, um, uh, that, you know, civilians and, and, uh, the progressive 
left, which I'm not left, right, whatever the case may be, but the progressive of the Black Lives Matter being Black Lives Matter um, would denounce that and make it seem as though that um, those that look like me who come from my neighborhoods who are afraid of police and, and dealt with the police in a negative uh, fashion would would um, would endorse that. Like we would be cool with you saying that, you know, not you, but uh, uh, your colleagues, some of yours that say that, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter is some kind of Antifa or some kind of way to kill cops or discredit cops or whatever. And the three of you are, are a law enforcement who I respect. So I, I would wonder, and I guess my question to you, sir, is that, you know, what do you say to them? How do you deal with that? And how do you adjust that to black and brown communities who are like me, who grew up, is that we don't trust police because police have not uh, been as friendly as possible uh, to our community, sir. And I, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I forgot to unmute your, your mic, so my bad. I'm, I'm oh. sorry. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, okay. go ahead, sir. There's yes, a sir. lot in yes, that sir. question, and, and I, I understand the, the unions and um, man, where they come from, and the chiefs have got a, a tough job dealing with the unions because you just can't find a bad cop out there and then say, you know, like a business – if you did something really wrong in a business, you could say, hey, you know, don't show up for work tomorrow. You can't do that in law enforcement because the union is, is strong. Uh, I understand that, and I think that's something that has to be looked at. Um, we, we've got to give the chief uh, a little bit more power to, to take the bad cops out before they do something incredibly stupid. Uh, and that's, a, you know, maybe we need to start that at the hiring process. Uh, look at and see who we're hiring and uh, use those uh, mental MMPI, the testing that we do to get uh, a different type of cop in there. Uh, that, uh, But, you know, the long and the short of it, the union's got the power right at the moment, and they're using it. I understand that. And, you know, they want to say they're looking out for the best interests of, of the officer. And for the most part, they're good people doing doing a tough job. But but sometimes, like I said before, you know, when we're wrong, we're wrong. And if the the offense is bad enough where you need to be fired, then or charged, we have to do that. Um, and when those situations are warranted, uh, we don't need to be hiding behind. Uh, you know, we're going to try to let them resign or retire or move on um man it's a tough pill to swallow but but there are friends and but i've arrested a tulsa cop for murder it, it gets done we we move on and i think as we see that in society that the police are, are able and willing to arrest our own uh, when when it's warranted then, then you'll see some of that come back in those neighborhoods that you're talking about um, you know if if midnight basketball was the answer we'd already be done with it so getting out and talking to people is is part of it but we got to educate the communities 
uh, like I said before, on what we're doing, um, and especially on a use of force that, that is ugly. I mean, gosh, you can pick one. Uh, if there's an explanation, let's hear it. And if there's not, let's do something about it. Yeah, and amen, yeah. amen to that to you guys uh, to, and to you, sir, because I, um, I, I think that um, I've, I've been on other programs. We've had uh, stuff on this uh, network even of, uh, of other of, of the three of your colleagues that say, no, you know, I mean, this is wrong. It's an attack on police. And, um, you know, as a civilian, it's like, welcome to the party. Like, it, it's been some things going on. But I respect you, sir. And you're retiring, and the fact that you can be honest about that, um, because there, there's, you know, there, there's a bad in all professions. But as I had said to the two chiefs, you, you can't be like a bad pilot on a plane. Like you have no zero tolerance. You can't be bad. You can't have a bad day as a, a pilot. And I think in law enforcement, with all due respect, is that you you guys already have a lot on your plate, and I get that. Doctors, lawyers, you're being, um, you know, <laughs> you're being all these different people when you get to a a scene and everything. And I respect that, and I I, I don't want any part of that. Um, but at the same token, I I, I, I do want to make sure that people understand that you know, um, you know, it, there there's a stigma out there. That's unfortunate for the good cops like you guys are. Um, that is bad for the bad ones out there. And I guess you guys, uh, Virgil, you guys have to fix how you how you police the bad ones because the bad ones are the ones that are messing you guys up. Because the three of you are doing the right thing, but you got some that are not doing the right thing, and that's a problem when you come to, you know, in the mainstream society, sir. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right, uh, L.A. Uh, Keith, you got anything to add to that? No, I, I just think what you're seeing, and 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 I and I'll be glad when it 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 uh, amplifies throughout the nation. Uh, we're seeing more and more officers uh, that are that have taken the zero tolerance mindset to when it comes to uh, bad behavior. Uh, it's like Sergeant said, uh, I've arrested. Um, co-workers uh, right out of briefing uh, you know right as they walk up for uh, drop come up for you know for their, their tour duty um, it, it's really not a difficult thing to do uh, and you have to go back and sergeant I would you know in talking to you and, and knowing about you I, w- I would think and I know Virgil thinks same thing we, we we can't afford to make excuses anymore and you know, at the end of the day, we talk about the passion and the pride we have in this profession, and we've got to start acting like that. You know, if, if you say you got passion and you're doing this job because you care about people and things like that, well, that's that's a hundred. I mean, that's all the way around. That's like that's a continual circle. You gotta, if you care about them, you gotta make sure you got people in there to care about them. If they're not doing things to show that they care about them, then it's time for them to go. And and we we just gotta we just gotta get that out there where it. It's amplified that we're not tolerating this anymore. Uh, we don't want to be compared to police of 50, 60 years ago. You know, we got to also stop this that, well, 
I don't know all the facts. You know, let's wait till all the facts come out. You know, and yeah. it goes back like yeah. like the George Floyd thing. Hey, look here, man. You know, listen. <laughs> what other yeah. facts do you need? <laughs> and so yeah. those are the things that I think that are insulting uh, to the community. Yeah, and you know, guys, just because you know now they're in the the jury selection with the George Floyd deal, and, and that's getting ready to to, to really come out and into the back into the public spotlight. And, you know, I think there's a federal legislation to pass the George Floyd bill. They could pass the house, but it's now it's on its way to the Senate. But, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, especially the FOP, you know, you, you have a, uh, an obligation to, uh, represent officers, uh, but you also have an obligation to call out bad behavior when you see it and not just make excuses for it and then try to flip the script to something else because now the public has even lost more trust. So, you know, I think uh, the public has every single time that a police union has come out and defended an officer Kind of like the situation in, in in Minneapolis with the officer on the neck of George Floyd, and people have said, "Well, if he hadn't have been doing this, then that wouldn't have happened." But you had a man who was begging for his life, and at what point does another man realize I need because I'm a police officer, this is what I need to do as a police officer and as a human being? But people's especially in the black community, they see that and they say, well, you're representing the police. So, but people need to realize that the FOP is, is separate from the police. But oftentimes what we're seeing is that the, the FOP is inserting themselves into things that they probably shouldn't be doing until everything has been resolved with that case. That's that's kind of my opinion, uh, uh, because again, the, the public is 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 really kind of tired of everybody saying, or, you know, well, this happened because of this, and then all of a sudden, after somebody's life has been taken, it's it's not necessarily the agency who is putting out bad information; it's the FOP who is putting out bad information about the person who lost their life, whether they were, you know, again, if, if you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, but don't try to destroy a person's character when they're dead. Uh, and I think that's why the FOP is taking such of a hit and that so many people are kind of dissing themselves from, uh, from that type of rhetoric. Now, what, what's your opinion, Sergeant Walker? Well, I think the rhetoric has to come from the the administration of the police department that's involved. Uh, I don't think the FOP should be the one out front talking because they're – it would be like let's uh, use the George Floyd incident, for, for example. Uh, the attorneys that are going to be working for George Floyd come out and say, you know, you see what happens, right? 
the FOP shouldn't be the ones. It, it should be the administration of that department. Um, it doesn't have to be even as blatant as the George Floyd. Um, but the, the the thing we run into, and I've seen it here in 2016 in the, uh, the, the officer-involved shooting that I worked with, Terrence Crutcher was shot and killed. Uh, mm-hmm. No comment is a terrible comment. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody gets to say whatever. It's just uh, wow. Um, but when you're told that you're not going to be able to, to say anything, and then the FOP comes out, it, 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 I agree with you. It, nobody wants to believe what they're saying. And well, you know, if we if we come out with what what happened, the facts. And there they are. You, know, you can argue about the facts, but uh, you can have your opinion about them, but it's not going to change what they are. Well, you know, the, the, the thing that I've seen really help is the critical incident. Um, uh, when you do the critical incident um, videos and you explain them, those have really been, no matter, I think, no matter how high-profile the case is, when you, when you walk the citizens through what happened, whether you're justified or not, and they can actually see the actions, it because it, it's just like you said, Sergeant. If you allow the community to build the narrative, it's going to have so many different plots. But if you can get out there and say, "Hey, this is this deal. I know that we this occurred. I will have a statement for you tomorrow. But what we for what we can tell." Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. Give them something. Give the community something. Because what you're doing is you're building that trust, and they're going to give you the opportunity. And you only have that one opportunity to be honest. And they're going to give you that opportunity to, to come back with additional information. But, it, you know, I always go back to the Ferguson incident. I go back to the chief there didn't make a statement. <laughs> For nine days, nine or ten days, yeah. and, and then the the the, the um, St. Louis County Police Chief made the statement for him, and there were so mm-hmm. many inconsistencies because this is somebody else's jurisdiction. But so what I'm saying is you got you got to be transparent, you got to be honest, and you got to give as much information as you can. I think people understand there's some things you can't, but you you gotta you gotta get your message out there. Because I'm telling you, uh, the union, their focus is protecting their – representing their, their member. Um, yeah, yeah. They're not going to throw the member under the bus. Yeah. They're just not going to do it. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, he brings up a good point. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, we got a, a, a listener in Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma. Jeremy from Tulsa asked, uh, shouldn't politics not play um, uh, in how – uh, law enforcement, more importantly, homicide handle cases. Uh, and then we just had a, a, another listener in Tulsa, Mike, uh, is in Tulsa, asked if murders went down uh, went down from the time he was in homicide unit. Uh, I think he's asking, has murders went down uh, since your time in the homicide unit prior to your retiring? Uh, so two really good qu- questions from our listeners. Who are listening in, in Oklahoma, uh, Jeremy and uh, and Mike? So, the first question, uh, Sarge, you know, 
about politics and law enforcement, which we all know it shouldn't be, but at some point it, it, it does. Yeah, po- politics uh, are a big part of it. I mean, uh, when you've got a presidential election going on and you got the election <laughs> candidates, uh, they probably know very little about law enforcement and what we're dealing with. They're, they're espousing their uh, their their views on, on an officer-involved shooting, and you know, <clears throat> then you're right. Politics should not play a part because it's right and it's wrong. And yeah. we just have to debate that. Um, and really, there is no right or left. It's right or wrong in that. And yeah. yet, politics do play a part. You know, and it always will. I don't know how we get yeah. that out of this, other than, um, boy, you chief's got a, a tough, tough decision to make at the end of the day. Uh, me yeah. gathering facts are, is simple. Yeah. Well, you know, another question uh, it, it came up was um, <clears throat> from not so much the the pol- pressure from the police chiefs, but pressure from your local, uh, your mayors, putting pressure on the police department to solve, you know, I think you had mentioned before some years ago, Tulsa had, you know, like four or five homicides in one night, and this was on the news. And Tulsa is is a a growing city, just like Oklahoma City is. There's things that that the city of Tulsa want to protect, and, and want, doesn't want that bad image of Tulsa getting out, uh, and want people to come and visit Tulsa. So, has has have you seen anything like that in your uh, career in the homicide unit, where maybe? There was some really uh, an urgency put on you guys to to solve uh, a certain uh, a case because it could have been had some implication with some po- political things going on in Tulsa. Well, I can say no, but then I have to say yes because in 2012 we had the Good Friday killings, which was uh, three. Uh, people were shot and killed just along the, the race because they were black. Uh, we had two white guys that were arrested in that. And, and so, yes, the, the whole minority community was up, upset. We had two uh, two people shot, three people killed. Um, man, it, it, and it was a good Friday weekend. And we worked it until Easter Sunday and got the arrest. And it came from, uh, you know, the, the community telling us who did it. So, yeah, there's mm-hmm. pressure on those. But. But each murder, there's a pressure on it to do it. And the mayor doesn't come into my office and say, you know, why why do we have three unsolved this week? Uh, the chief never did that. Um, so I didn't feel it. So the, okay. that was a good thing because, the, you know, I don't need the chief to tell me how to work a case. I know how to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not the chief, <laughs> but he's not the homicide guy right. either. So, it, uh, and and, and we shouldn't want. <laughs> and sorry, we shouldn't want to get in your business. We shouldn't. Yeah. If we exactly. have to get in your business, then we need to be doing that job, you know. And so, no, if you've got good, trusted homicide detectives like yourself, that's that's a that's a win-win for a chief. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We shouldn't be getting in, in your business. Yeah. Well, hey guys, Mike, I want to get to Mike's question. I think he wanted to know, uh, uh, Sergeant Walker, if homicides went down from the time you became a homicide investigator uh, upon 
your retirement? Well, I think we were looking probably the first year I took over was 2011, and we ran about 48 that year, and that was low. And we usually were looking mm-hmm. at 60 a year. 2016, we set a record at 83. And oh, I want yeah, to point right. out that was uh, we solved 83 of those, so we were at 100%. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's amazing in itself. And then 2017, we went to 83 again. Uh, now, 2018, we were on a lull, and that's when I, I walked out. Uh, and they've gone down since. So I hope that doesn't mean I was the cause of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, record number yeah. of years because I was in it doesn't mean that uh, that's not something I was looking forward to, but but we did, and they're on they're, they're kind of like on pace again to to run about fifty or sixty. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it has settled down just a bit, and I can't tell you why. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I can't tell you why they're 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 high. You know, most of the time people yeah. are doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons at the wrong time. Uh, yeah. if you're in the right place at the right time for the right reasons uh, you're pretty safe yeah well hey we have a another question and it's, and it's great we've got a lot of people on the line listening to the show they definitely want to hear what uh what you have to say uh sergeant walker it being the the face of the of tulsa pd on the first 48 so we've got uh we got faith to ask if um if you think that people believe in the criminal justice system through reality TV like uh, uh, the first 48? Yes, I do think that uh, people have a better understanding of what we do in the reality TV part of it. Um, You know, the NCISs where they get DNA and all that all the time, uh, that's a little unmanageable for us. And then you see uh, the real life of, of us. Uh, you see us crying at times. You see us tired. You see us frustrated. You see us bad. Uh, and I think Chief Humphrey said it's not bad for people to see that we're human beings. Uh, we can pound the desk table, you know, <laughs> and, and get upset. <laughs> and we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, in, in, in the end, people see us as real, and that's helped us in Tulsa. I mean, people call. Mm-hmm. And because we're not at the murder scene, so we're asking people, and you'll be surprised. They may not call us that night, but but they get a hold of us. They know who we are, and since we're out there, you know, the Jason Whites of the world, they they know who we are. And Mm -hmm. Nate Chilling and John Brown and Mark Kennedy and all those guys are real people. And and they don't mind calling, and that's how we solve them, and thank God for that. Yeah. Oh, hey, also we um we got uh Jason who's listening in uh, in in uh Indiana. He just wanted to say thanks for all all uh, everybody do whether active or retired. So Jason, we definitely thank you for listening uh to us in, in Indiana. But you know, we're coming up on the, the last minute of, of the show, uh, uh Sergeant Walker and we definitely thank you for taking the time to, to come on and and talk to us about uh, your uh, career as being a, a investigator with the uh, Tulsa Police Department, and uh, how the first 48 has, has made you pretty famous around the, the world. I, I told you that I got a sister who lives in Lubbock, Texas, and she uh, 
she thought she missed the show last night, and I said, no, it's on Tuesday night, so you didn't miss anything. So, <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. hope it didn't disappoint the family because uh, that's never good. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we got one other question. Uh, Maria asked, uh, uh, did you make sticks on the gang, or did you make sticks on the gang unit? She said he is cute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of people mention sticks. A lot of people are. are, are <laughs> <laughs> he is tall. I'll tell you that he's taller than I am, and he's cuter than I am, and that's why he's on TV. And I'm just out here doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, you know, between you and Brown, uh, uh, you, you guys are such a, a, a great group of, of guys who come together to solve <clears throat> some of the worst homicides in Tulsa. And, you know, I saw one where they took this young man's body to Muskogee and burned it. And, mm. and, and I know you remember it, probably remember that case. Um, but it's just so many hundreds and hundreds of cases that you guys have dealt with. And it, but at the end of the day, and I think you can, you know, say this better than me and Chief Humphrey can, you guys are doing everything you can for the family. And, and that's what it, at the end of the day, when you solve a homicide, whether it's within the first 48 hours or, you know, within the first year or two years, as long as you are solving that case, that's what's important. You're right. The, the family becomes a part of us. Uh, man, I, and I always say I cry alone, but, but the families cry. Uh, we're with them. I, I can't give yeah. the families enough yeah. uh, respect. Hey, guys, uh, Hey guys, we're going to have to shut it down, but, hey, we are glad uh, you were able to join us. But uh, you've listened to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, tune in next week for another edition of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.